Hello and welcome to The Exit presented by Flippa. This is your co-host here, Steve McGarry, and this is a 30-minute podcast featuring amazing entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You'll learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exit. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. And on this episode, I sit down with Alexa Von Tobel. She's the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, and she walks us through her exit of LearnVest. It was acquired by Northwestern Mutual, which was a company based out of Milwaukee. And she goes through the entire process from end to end, and there's so many really cool knowledge nuggets that she drops for us because there are really, really chaotic times during this acquisition. She talks about how the CEO came and visited them on Thanksgiving while she was entertaining her brand new in-laws, and just a lot of really fascinating things all going on at once, all the way down to her giving birth to her first child the same week the acquisition <laughs> took place. So really fantastic story here and a lot of really inspiring concepts that she talks about around accepting feedback from others. So definitely sit down, listen through the entire interview here on The Exit. And without further ado, let's dive into the interview here with Alexa Von Tobel. All right, today I am joined with Alexa Von Tobel, the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital. How are you doing today, Alexa? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me and a fan and um, what a fun topic that you get to go deep with people on. Yeah, excited to have you on and excited to go deep into uh, you know, your exit and all that goes with it. So before we get into the nitty gritty, let's talk about your background. What got you into entrepreneurship and, and starting companies? Um, it's such a good question. And the truth is, I actually just think I've always been an entrepreneur and I just never had the language to really describe it. If you go back and watch like a, a young Alexa Von Tobel I was always building things and making things. And, you know, my lemonade stand was in the lemonade stand. I had like taken things out of my parents' house and sold this on the street, which they didn't totally appreciate. Um, and, you know, when I was in uh, high school, I started a tutoring company. When I was in college, I helped build a magazine. Um, and I was just always obsessed with building businesses. And I think it honestly took till probably I was 20, 21, 22 that the light bulb went off to be able to define that like constant building energy in me. Um, and I was like, ah, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, but so I think it's always been there. And a, a quick fun like fact when I was younger, I never was like enamored with like pop stars or athletes. I mean, I of course thought some were really cool, but I was always really interested in like CEOs businesses, which is such an odd thing for like a little girl to be really interested in. And, um, I just really liked people who built products and businesses, and I thought they were so interesting and superhuman. And um, the last thing I'll probably say is just the core of it is I really love problem solving. Um, and I, I re now realized I, I like puzzles and being an entrepreneur is basically a big puzzle. Um, and I think they're really, really fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, that that time in life is very tricky for young entrepreneurs where you're kind of being tried to fit into this, this pegged hole of the education system. And you feel kind of like an outsider in a way you're like, why am I constantly trying to start all these things when a lot of people are just going to pick a path and go down this one is what we're being told. And it can really uh, feel 
disorienting. And, and a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that have been on the show, myself in, included, really struggled with that uh, early on was figuring out that it is, it's okay <laughs> to, be, to be an entrepreneur and a builder. And uh, that's really great that you kind of figured that out early on that you liked solving problems. So what was the first business that you, you really uh, took off? I mean, I think Learn Best um, was, you know, my baby. I started thinking about the idea. Um, my husband's so cute. He actually has a calendar reminder. And he texted me the other day and he was like, 14 years ago today, you founded Learn Best. Oh, wow. I was like, that's really cute that you remember that. Um, and basically, um, and I would say it never like took off. What I, it did was like, I muscled it into existence is probably a better way to say it. Um, but th that idea was really simple. I was in my early twenties. I started making money for the first time as like, you know, somebody starting to have a job. And I remember thinking to myself, where do young people go to manage their money and to get really good at it? Because the world was really focused on if you have a lot of money, lots of people want to give you advice. But if you're like 21 years old and just getting your first paycheck, you don't have a lot of money and nobody wants to give you advice. And I kind of thought about that as like, if the medical world said, we'll only see healthy people, that's basically what a lot of personal finance does is if you have a lot of money, lots of people want to give you advice. And if you don't have any, you can't get it. And I was like, financial planning should not be a luxury product that makes no sense. And so Learn Best was born. I started writing the business plan. I founded it in March of 2007. Fast forward, I dropped out of Harvard Business School. Um, December 18th of 2008 was my last day there and moved to New York and stood the business up. And that basically meant a year of just constant figuring it out. Um, that was probably the hardest year of my career. Um, but at the end of it, uh, we launched and had our first 10,000 users sign up in a short period of time. And I remember thinking to myself, wow. But so my, my point of saying all that was lots went into <laughs> dropping out, moving to New York, figuring it out. And then finally, like the one payback to me was like we launched and actually people showed up and said, I'm interested. But nothing even then was perfect. It was still like they're interested in this, but they also want this. And we had to, you know, really focus on that early product market bid and how do we talk to these individuals and, and start to build it. But in short, Learn Best became TurboTax for financial planning. So we were financial planning software for the masses for everyday Americans. Um, and we sold to Northwestern Mutual, as you know. Um, so long journey. Got it. Very cool. And I love the, the, the narrative that a lot of entrepreneurs will take of going to the city you know, they, they have an idea and then they move to a big city, which is basically like putting yourself in a, a pressure cooker in a way where you, you have to figure it out, you know, because the cost of living is high, but the opportunity is there because you're in the city and it really forces you into this unique position that a lot of people discount when it comes to starting a business and standing it up, like you said, where you go into this, <laughs> this pressure cooker that is New York City, a very challenging city to, to survive in, and you're starting a business. And it's really a lot of the most successful companies operate that way, just like grinding through those early days really make it the most fun uh, that you can think back to and, and all the, the trials and tribulations that come with it. So you guys start up, how many co-founders did you have? How big did you grow the team leading up uh, to, to the exit? 
Hey guys, Steve here and taking a quick pause from the interview. I know that selling a business can feel unattainable and just out of reach for everybody, but it's definitely something that is very reachable for people that are listening to this podcast with Flippa. And I've mentioned that this show is presented by Flippa. They have over 3 million users on their platform who are looking to acquire everything from content sites to e-commerce stores to SaaS platforms or even mobile applications. So if you're curious and want to know more about what your business is worth, head to flippa.com slash the exit for free valuations on your business. It takes a couple minutes to literally go through and you can just go through the whole process without committing to anything at all. So once again, flippit.com slash the exit, check it out, get evaluation on your business without any commitments and just see exactly what your valuation of your business is worth. So let's dive into the interview. Yeah. So I was a sole founder, um, which at the time was really, really unique. Um, uh, one, uh, just in general, being a sole founder is obviously really hard. It's pretty lonely. Um, and then also I was a female sole founder in New York City in fintech, which is also a pretty unique thing at the time. Fintech wasn't even called fintech. Um, but no, so um, it was me. And then um, I was really fortunate to have these two amazing designers who would help me like visualize what I was talking about. And I couldn't even afford to bring them on full time. I had a CTO who was um, a dear friend of my cousin's who I couldn't afford to even remotely hire or pay. And so he kind of advised me until I could make some progress. Um, and then at some point, my call it, uh, at the, I would say middle of 2009, my first cousin came on. So at that point, I'd been kind of building the company for about two years, May of 2007. Um, my first company joined, or cousin joined. Um, and then I started actually having friends like say, I want to come help you build this. And a dear friend named Allison Fast joined. And basically at that point, we had the beginning of a team. I raised about um, a million dollars. And once that money was really in place, um, we could actually start to build. Nice, nice. So how long were you guys operating before uh, the acquisition? Um, so start to finish. Uh, so uh, May of 2007 was when I founded the company and legally a structure. My mom was the secretary, quite literally, <laughs> uh, on the legal document. Um, and then fast forward, um, we were acquired on March 25th of 2015. Um, so on a Wednesday, basically the company, it was roughly our fifth birthday. We'd been up and running with customers for five years, um, but start to finish, I'd been really you know, building the company for call it seven. Um, and fun fact, literally sold on a Wednesday and had my first child that weekend. So oh, wow. I always joke that like, life can't prepare you for everything that comes with entrepreneurship. And like, that was a good example of um, the acquisition was happening. And I also was having a child and they happened to happen in the same few day period. And I, I just kept joking, like, this can't happen. Like there's too many things happening at one time, quite literally. Um, but I always joke, if I didn't, if I can make it through that week, I can make it through anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts. So the, the acquisition itself, let's talk a little bit about how, uh, how you met the acquiring company, what you liked about them, and how uh, the transition happened. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, the company that bought us was Northwestern Mutual. Um, they're a 165-year-old company out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, massive business, billions and billions of revenue. Um, and they have been, a, their mission has been about stabilizing the American family for literally now close to 200 years in some ways. Um, our mission was uh, giving everyday Americans access to a, a core financial plan. And what's really fascinating um, so one, insurance companies by nature help people plan for the worst and a financial planning company, you help people plan for, for, for their future. Um, they actually tapped me on the shoulder. Um, and it was interesting. They emailed into our business development team a year prior being like, Hey, we'd really love to get to know you guys. Um, they ended up actually investing in our round that had happened just prior. Um, so we just raised, uh, north of $30 million, um, a big round. And we just started to get to know them and they wanted to do some business development stuff. And um, very quickly, what became clear to me was they were really, really interested in our software. We'd built complicated financial planning software that was cash flow based. So it actually, most financial planning software, this is a very nerdy fact, was really focused just on uh, for assuming that you already had a lot of money um, and you could manage your bills. So it wasn't based on your actual cash. It was based on you have tens of millions of dollars or you know, millions of dollars. And now we're going to help you on your goals, but not on can you even manage today. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, 78% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. So most of America can't even plan because they're actually focused on how do I get my head up to begin to focus on tomorrow? So our software did that. So it was really special um, and, you know, handfuls of patents and all of these things. And they invested. And then the CEO actually emailed me and said, hey, I'd love to come spend some time with you um, the day before Thanksgiving. So literally the Wednesday of 2014, the day before Thanksgiving. Um, I was actually, I just got married and um, uh, like the year prior. And I was actually hosting dinner for like my new in-laws and <laughs> I was supposed to be cooking. So of course it was one of those moments where I was like, of course I can be available. And I was like, I will now have food catered. Um, and basically we sat down and we spent four hours, um, literally just the two of us talking about my goals and my vision of the company and what I cared about and my value system behind it. Um, I have a really personal story, which is when I was younger, my dad had passed away unexpectedly. And my mom overnight became a single mom with three kids who was a, a working parent and I basically watched my mom overnight have to like figure out financial planning because she'd never ever done it prior. My dad had always managed it. And um, my mom's an extremely bright woman, um, but she'd never managed it. And I just always said to myself, I want to make sure my finances are my own and I have my arms around them. And um, so it comes from a really deep place why I started Learn Best. Um, and the CEO sat there and talked about, you know, literally their value system, which is etched in marble on the wall in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is um, truly about stabilizing families. Um, and we just had a very similar value system. And I think what came out of that is actually we just really cared about the same things, which is simple as that sounds. It actually is pretty important through an acquisition mm -hmm. um, because if, if your North star is the same, how you get there, you can figure out the plans. And, you know, we were a fast growing startup that had almost at that time, about 200 employees or so called 180 ish. Um, there were 6,000 employees in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We were in New York city, you know, their, their motto is to move slowly and get it right. 
we are move fast and build it quickly. And, you know, it's a very different uh, DNA. Um, but our value system is the same. And to his credit, he, his name's John Schlitzky. He's a wonderful human in every way. Um, he basically said, our value systems are the same so we can figure out the plans of how to make this work. And so that, that was it. So that was that conversation. And then, you know, a few weeks later, we had a term sheet for an acquisition and we had some other acquirers also uh, interested and at the table. Um, actually, one of the other acquirers called him and said, hey, we wanted to buy them um, afterwards. And, um, uh, you know, just some really, really great companies. Um, and basically, uh, then it was a matter of just processing. You know, I, I took my CEO job really seriously and knew it at the time. But in retrospect, like your job as CEO is quite literally to bring all of the best opportunities to the board. And so my job was to go get the opportunity, make it clear and bring it back to the board before I even emotionally as a huge owner in the company and as the CEO could process whether or not I wanted to, to, to sell the business. My legal job was literally to bring it on behalf of all stakeholders, the employees, the investors and, and, and our customers, right? And so it was just, I, I took it really seriously. My job was to go figure out what it was and then bring it back to the board. And then I could actually put my Alexa hat back on and say, what do I think? Um, and so that was kind of how I approached it. Nice. Nice. And I had, it seems like there's a, a trend of so many things happening all at once for you <laughs> where, you know, the Thanksgiving, you're meeting the in-laws and the CEO wants to come over and meet with you of the acquiring company. But I, I really like what you said about the North Star. As long as you guys have the same North Star, you can find a way to make it work, which I think is a really valid, uh, really, really valid point in business in general, I think, uh, with co-founders, with partnerships, with acquiring companies, everything. As long as you share values in, uh, in some aspect, you can really make it work. So in terms of what you were tracking at LearnVest, for everybody out there that's listening, you know, all businesses are different, of course, but what were some things that you think universally were important for you to track that made the acquisition happen smoother for you guys? Oh, gosh, great question. Um, well, so, you know, not every acquisition is the same, but in this one, we actually had lots of competitive tension. And so um, that was one. Um, and then the other thing that I think was really important was, you know, we kept, we had a timeline and I kept being like, this has to be the timeline. I joke, but you know, again, I didn't, I, you don't decide when a company wants to buy you. And I was having a baby and I, I literally said to everybody, the birth of my first child is actually priceless to me. And that is literally true and a fact. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, this can't go past that or else I am not interested. Like this will not happen um, because I wasn't gonna have a baby and then have to go back to work the next two days to figure this out. And so one, all jokes aside, like that was a clear date. Um, but then before that, it was really, uh, you know, the deal was supposed to be done in February as things happen, things can slip and not slip in a way where it was just some legal work wasn't done and we were still finishing one meeting. And, and so, uh, you know, managing the timeline, I think is probably the most important thing for the CEO to really do and like be very clear about expectations. And so I was very clear that March 30th, like, literally the wall went down. Um, and so I think that was helpful, but we were supposed to get closed in February and it slipped, uh, you know, by almost four and a half weeks. So, um, that happens. And I think the timeline is the most important thing. The other thing is like, what are we both trying to get out of this to decide whether or not this is a good fit? So I think some of those obvious things are, 
what is the price? What does this look like? Some of those early things that you need to know, and that's the purpose of a term sheet. Are we on the same page of our expectations? And so um, those are some of the things that we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And then time frame from that moment at uh, Thanksgiving where he came and visited you through the the actual closing. What was what was that time frame? Um, so I think we got our term sheet um, just before Christmas. Um, so December something. Okay. I call it December fifteenth ish. Um, and then we plan to have call it a sixty ish day. You know, mid February close. Um, there's lots of work that goes into that, right? Diligence work and uh, legal work and compliance work and regulatory work. And, um, and so all of that was kind of in motion. And then um, we, again, were hoping to kind of be closed by March 1st-ish. Um, and instead we closed March 25th. Um, so many streams of work go into it that I think maybe, you know, not only just the like, how do you actually legally do this and check and they needed to confirm everything we were saying was true. Then on the flip side, you also put in all these plans for what happens post the exit. How do we take care of the teams? And the good news of this is, you know, we sold a company for many hundreds of millions of dollars. It was a really positive thing for everybody. We were managing zero layoffs. In fact, everybody got, you know, by major packages. It was an all cash exit. So there was, it wasn't stock price dependent. So there, it, in so many ways, this was like the simplest acquisitions can get. It was all cash, same day, um, no layoffs. Um, the company was going to stay intact, um, and we were going to focus on, you know, helping our software um, come over to the parent company. Um, and even that, there's just so much to think about. How do you manage the brand? How do you manage people's, you know, anxieties? You know, you have a new owner. How does that operate? So it so much work goes into an acquisition that I think um, it may sound obvious, but actually on the ground level, there were something like 28 work streams that we were parallel tracking. And by the way, while still running the business. Mm-hmm. In our most busy period, learn best, you know, your financial well-being, January and February, the biggest months, because people are coming back from, you know, the new year, new resolutions, caring about their wallets, going into taxes. So we were also in a busy season and it was just absolutely wild how many things we had to keep afoot. And I think I clocked sometimes truly, you know, staying in the office until two o'clock in the morning, seven days a week. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Stressful time leading up through the that whole acquisition and that time frame is just chaos uh, for sure. So the finale question that I like to ask everybody is: knowing what you know now, what would you tell Alexa ten years ago? So I mean, so many things. The, the, so many things. I think um, something switched in me ten years ago where I really learned to take feedback um, and to get better at just knowing that I'm a work in progress and that's okay. I'm not a perfect person. I don't have all the answers and actually getting really comfortable with that, which lots of people say it, but I like actually became at home in that feeling where I don't have to have everything right. Um, I'm, I'm talented in so many things, but not some others. And in those cases, like filling those blind spots. And so leaning into feedback, I now call it L-I-T-T-P, lean into the pain. Mm-hmm. When people tell you things that you can get better at, just really being grateful for it. They're, they're taking care of you. They're doing something nice by helping you get better. And obviously it doesn't make it feel any better. Um, but the sooner you can do that in your career, the better. Um, and then those people really are your friends. They're really your mentors. Those people who go out of their way to 
look after you and make you become a better person. And um, so just that personal growth, like I really started leaning into it and, um, you know, I wish I would have done it in my teens, but obviously, you know, you're still figuring out who you are and all of those things. Um, but I think that that was a big switch that went off in my head in my early twenties. Um, and I, I just, I wish I would have even embraced it even sooner because I feel like so much personal growth comes with knowing that you don't have all the answers and that's okay. And, um, it's a maturing that maybe time is the only way to have it. Um, but in retrospect, um, it was a really big gift to myself, um, to, to have that switch change in my head. Well said, well said. So those are all the questions that I have for you. What are you working on now and where can people go and learn more? Yeah. So I'm the managing partner of Inspired Capital. We're uh, a early stage venture fund, a few hundred million dollars, um, focused on uh, investing in the founders of tomorrow. So taking everything that we've learned, our, you know, our core team has built and scaled 10 businesses successfully. Um, one of my partners is Penny Pritzker, former U.S. Secretary of Commerce. Another is Lucy Deland, a co-founder of Paperless Post. And we just love to build businesses. So one, come see us, email us. Um, we want to hear all the best pitches. And um, we really approach um, entrepreneurship as a craft. And we loved the craft of helping founders build businesses. It's, I always joke, I don't have hobbies. I would do this for free every day. And the fact that I get to do it for a career is honestly um, unbelievable to me. So that's us. Come see us. Amazing. Well, wherever you guys are listening to this, uh, all the links that Alexa mentioned will be in the show notes. But once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Alexa. Um, you're a sensation, Steve. Thanks so much for doing this. And again, thanks for giving us a chance to share our stories.